the New York Times in 2006 published an article titled, Get It Off Your Chest and Onto a Window. And they were reporting uh, some interesting happenings in Manhattan. Two women by the name of Laura Barnett and Sandra Spannon were inviting people in Manhattan to uh, unburden their souls. So Laura, they, they had rented a storefront building, and on the glass of the storefront, they had stenciled, air your dirty laundry, 100% confidential, anonymous, and free. And Laura, she was dressed all in white, and she would just silently um, hail some passerby and invite them to come, and she would point to the window and what was stenciled on it. And if the passerby stopped, she would hand them a clipboard with a blank sheet of paper and a pen and an envelope on which was typed secret. And so many people would then write down uh, what was burdening them. They would put it into the envelope, seal the envelope, drop it in a bucket, and then walk off. While they were writing, um, Sandra Spannon, who was an artist, she would sketch their portraits. And then once the people were out of sight, they would pull out the envelope, uh, take out its contents, and then paste it or tape it up to the window along with the portrait. And I don't think it was side to side. I think they tried to keep it anonymous, right? Mixed it all up. But by the end of the day, there were hundreds of portraits and hundreds of confessions. And some were silly. For example, the hermit crab was still alive when I threw it down the trash chute. Somebody was burdened by that. But some of these were quite serious. I'm dating a married man and getting financial compensation in exchange for the guilt. He's 25. I'm 25. He's a millionaire. It pays to be young. Another one. I make fun of this one friend behind her back all the time. She just enrages me. But I get freaked out when I think of what she might be saying about me. I haven't yet visited my dead parent's grave. I haven't slept with my husband in a year, and I'm about to start an affair with dot, dot, dot. And even this one, I killed a man back in 1957. Now, this little experiment revealed many things, yes. But it certainly showed that the average person just walking down the street, uh, there are so many who are burdened, who have deep, dark secrets. But what do you do with those secrets? Listen, we all fail, right? All of us could, if we were honest, put something down that's shocking. But what do we do with that? Does writing it down and, and, and posting it up on the side of a building so everybody can see, what does that solve anything? And you know, if we don't know how to process our sin and get through to a place of healing, it can completely derail us. It can destroy us. Think of how many lives are just uh, ruined, really, because of the uh, sin that is not processed. 
And so in our psalm today, uh, we're going to learn how to process those deep, dark secrets in a way that leads us to spiritual and emotional healing. And so it's a wonderful, uh, it is, this is a wonderful uh, psalm. We're in a series called Outcry. We're studying 12 Psalms of David. David penned many psalms, but for most of the psalms, we don't know the historical situation that gave rise to the psalm, but, but for these 12 psalms, we do. And the title, we're titling the series Outcry because we get to listen in as David cries out to the Lord from the midst of his real-life situation. Sometimes he's crying out in praise to the Lord because he is taking such comfort from the fact that God is on his throne and therefore everything's going to turn out fine. Sometimes he's looking back and saying, God, you have delivered me and I'm going to just praise you and tell everybody about your goodness. Sometimes he's in the midst of the, of the tough situation and he's like, God, if you don't deliver me, I'm sunk. And we get to listen in and learn from David as he uh, processes real life by faith. Well, today, David is confessing his sin to the Lord, and he is um, receiving back spiritual and emotional healing. And so as we listen in, we get hope and instruction on how to unburden our own souls, how to process our own failures. So we start with the historical situation, which we find in the little uh, superscript. Here it is, Psalm 51, superscript. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So if you go to um, 1 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, you can read about this story. David desired Bathsheba. And so he calls her to the palace, sleeps with her, but she's married to Uriah the Hittite. She gets pregnant. And now David is worried that his adultery is going to be exposed. And so he decides to kill Uriah. And so he conspires with his general to have Uriah um, lead a a charge, kind of a suicide charge up against an enemy city. And sure enough, Uriah gets killed. And David uh, then takes Bathsheba to be his own wife. And I'm sure that David thought, I've gotten away with this. Uh, I've escaped. But he hadn't. Because God had seen what he'd done. And he was, now he had one of those deep secrets, right? That was interrupting his relationship with God. That had soiled his soul. That was uh, destroying him spiritually. Well, God in his mercy sends Nathan the prophet to confront David. And, and Nathan, the prophet, is super savvy. And so he doesn't just walk in and say, David, you've sinned. He tells David a story. He says, David, there's a, a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man has a, a, lots of flocks. He's got lots of sheep and, and cattle, and he's just rich. And then there's this poor man, and in his family, he only has one little lamb. And the family has sort of taken that little lamb in. It's a pet. They know its name. It sleeps in the house with them. Well, the rich man has some guests coming, and and he wants to serve them some lamb. But rather than take one of 
the lambs from his large flock, he goes to the poor man and, and by force takes his little lamb, his one lamb, and kills it and serves it to the guests. Well, David, king of Israel, who also functions as judge, is enraged by this injustice. And he says, that guy's got to die. Tell me who he is, Nathan, and we'll take his head off. And Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are that man. And David is cut to the quick, and he pens Psalm 51 in response. Before we get into that, let me just say, uh, God confronts us because he loves us. When your affair is exposed, when you get caught cheating, caught lying, uh, embezzling, doing drugs, whatever it is, often that feels like the worst moment, right? All of a sudden I got caught. It feels like the worst moment, but so often that's the beginning of healing. God loves us enough to not allow us to just wallow in our sin. He'll bring it to light. He'll confront it because he wants to break us free from that slavery. Because it, it's secret. We might think we're getting away with it. And yet it is, God knows, it's destroying us. And so he will so often confront us and bring it to light so that we can process it, deal with it, and find healing. Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What audacity. He's murdered Uriah the Hittite. He slept with Bathsheba. He's committed adultery. And he's saying, God, will you blot out my transgressions? Will you wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin? Are you kidding? You don't deserve that. That's pretty audacious, isn't it? I want to do over. What? Well, if we sat in judgment on him, we would probably say, no way. No way. You don't get, you don't get washed, cleansed, and have your transgressions blotted out. This should hound you for the rest of your life. But we're not the judge, are we? And so what does David do? He is casting himself on the mercy of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. David knows God. God, God we fail God. He does not fail us. His love is steadfast. His mercy is abundant. And because of who God is, we can have the hope of forgiveness. And that's what we put our hope in. So don't believe the enemy's lie that you have run too far for too long, that what you've done is too bad. Yeah, you wouldn't forgive yourself, and maybe we wouldn't forgive you, but God will forgive you because of his steadfast love, and abundant mercy. And that's who we put our hope in, the character of God. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Even when he kept it secret, 
even when he wasn't talking about it, even when before Nathan had come to point the finger, David knew his transgressions. His sin was ever before him. It was haunting him. It was destroying his soul. It was interrupting his relationship with God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We hurt people, but we sin against God. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You see, through Nathan, God had accused David. You are that man. I have found you guilty. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here's David saying, you know, my sin wasn't just an an aberration. It's characteristic of the fact that I am a sinful person. I have a sin nature. I do these kind of things. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We cannot find forgiveness until we repent. And repentance involves honesty and submission to God. So here's David now being honest. I have sinned. I am a sinner. You, God, are right to accuse me and to judge me. I don't resist it. I don't challenge it. I accept the verdict that I am guilty. And according to the scripture, the wages of sin is death. I deserve what I get. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Listen, society might tell you it's okay to be sleeping with your girlfriend. That's a great way to decide whether or not you should be married. Your uh, friends might applaud that. Your parents might even say that's a good idea. But that's not what God says. We need to define what is right and wrong based on the word of God, his revelation, rather than what is kind of uh, popular and accepted in our society, especially as our society drifts further and further, farther and farther away from God. You might think, hey, partying on the weekends, smoking marijuana here and there, that's okay as long as it's not hurting anybody, right? This is what society says. It's only wrong if it's going to hurt somebody or if, or if you're, you know, not doing what you want to do. But we've sort of lost this idea that something is right or wrong based on what God, does, uh, you know, how God judges it. And here David is saying, God, you are the standard for what is right and wrong. And what I have done is wrong in your sight. It's evil. I have done what is evil in your sight. And so repentance means, uh, involves honesty, not keeping it secret, being transparent before the Lord, and submitting to his judgment about our actions and his, uh, his judgment upon us. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's an act of faith. That's a faith statement. 
He's murdered. He's committed adultery. He's weighed down by it. But he is saying, God, if you will purge me, I shall be clean. If you wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. It's possible for me to move past this. It's possible for me to be healed if you will do it in my life, O God. Boy, some of you, you need to believe that. You need to believe that it's possible to move past uh, the burden, past the sin, into healing, into clean and washed. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Right now, David is not experiencing joy. He's not experiencing gladness. He feels broken. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David's asking for a lot. He's saying, God, would you heal me spiritually? Would you heal me emotionally? Would you restore my relationship with you? Right now, it's, it feels broken. I'm ashamed before you. Uh, I want to hide from you. Uh, would you please uh, cleanse me? Forgive me? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? Give me a spirit that wants to do what is right again. Give me a freedom. And he and even an emotional freedom. I want to have joy again and gladness again. And you know what? That is available to us in Jesus Christ. No matter, no matter what we've done, God wants to and can restore to us our spiritual and emotional health. We can have joy and gladness again. We can, we can experience uh, a sense of, I am washed clean. I have been renewed. Now, there are consequences, oftentimes consequences, for our sin that uh, remain while we're in this life. Uh, so, for example, you uh, you are sleeping around outside of marriage and, and you get pregnant or you get someone pregnant. Well, that baby doesn't just go away, right? But you can find spiritual and emotional healing instantly, and then you just make faith decisions on how to love the child. You might... Find yourself in jail because of what you've done. But you can be spiritually and emotionally healthy in jail. For David, God forgave him, and his relationship with God was restored, but there were consequences to this sin. Nathan told David, there are three consequences. Number one, the baby born to you in Bathsheba will die. Number two, uh, the sword will not leave your family. 
And that played itself out when his son Absalom rebelled against him, and, and many thousands of Israelites died in the battles between David and Absalom. Uh, and, and God said, number three, because you have slept with Uriah's wife in secret, your own wives will be slept with in public. And again, Absalom set up a tent on the rooftop of the palace, and in sight of all Israel, he took ten of David's uh, wives and concubines and slept with them in public. So there were consequences. But David, at the point, at this point, when he repented, uh, he was forgiven and he had re- returned to him his spiritual and his emotional health. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. He's thinking here about Uriah. He murdered him. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. David celebrates his forgiveness in two ways, evangelism, and worship. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David's saying, look, if you will forgive me, if you will cleanse me from this, I'm going to mouth it around. (laughs) I'm going to tell people about how, you know, what I had done and how I found uh, spiritual healing. And then my story will encourage other people whose souls are burdened by their sins, by their secrets. And when they hear about how God has forgiven me despite my adultery and and murder, they're going to say, you know what? Maybe God will forgive me. And sinners will return to you. And you know what? At an appropriate time, uh, after you have repented and and been healed spiritually, it's appropriate for you to start sharing that with other people. It blesses them. it's one of the reasons I always love it when, when people will stand up here and share their God story and talk about what God's doing in their life. And sometimes it's, I did this, and then God healed me. And every time we hear a story of God's mercy upon someone else, it inspires us to step into God's mercy. So he's, he's, evan- he's celebrating his forgiveness with, with evangelism and then with praise. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. I remember uh, talking, counseling a non-Christian who had done something, you know, that was really burdening him. And I was trying to, he came to me because I'm a pastor and I was trying to help him. But here's the thing, he could not forgive himself. And because he wasn't a Christian, uh, the fact that Christ had died for his sins didn't comfort him. He He wasn't placing his trust in that. And so all he had to go on was, I need to punish myself. Nobody else is punishing me. But I know what I've done is wrong. And I'm burdened by it. So I've got to punish myself. Because this deserves to be punished. And I talked to him about, you know, the, the opportunity to have your the, the punishment for your sins on Christ. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, we read this. He himself, Jesus Christ, God himself, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's talking about Jesus dying on the cross. What was he doing on the cross? He was bearing our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The reason we can be forgiven is because Jesus Christ took the penalty for our sins upon himself when he hung upon the cross. Because our sins are heinous, and they do deserve to be punished. And God in his justice punishes sin. The wages of sin is death. Well, Christ, but here's the good news. Christ took the penalty for our sins upon himself. By his stripes, you are healed. And so we can receive Christ's death upon the cross as full payment for our sins. Don't minimize the death of Christ. It's sufficient payment for what you've done. He is the Son of God. And we can allow his death as to be the substitute for us. And then we can receive the mercy of God. Aubrey was uh, only about five years old. And life was not going the way she wanted it. And she blamed it on God. And she said, I hate you, God. And then it began to eat her up. And who knows what, the, what Satan was telling her, even at five years old. But two days later, she couldn't take it. And praise God, she said, Dad, i got to talk to you. Come here. And I remember she takes me into her room, and she shut the door, and she made sure no one was coming in. And then she divulges, I told God I hate him. And she starts to cry. She did not know what to do with that. At five years old, it was eating her up. And so I had the privilege of taking her to 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 9. If we confess our sins, I even showed it to her. I wanted her to know it was written. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I walked her through at five years old. Do you know what this means? Do you understand that? And eventually she got it. And I said, are you willing to confess? And so she, she began to confess and receive that truth. And she sobbed. Her Five years old. And she was just shaking, sobbing. And, and Aubrey fell in love with God at that moment. Her heart has been soft from that moment on. Because she experienced restoration. And I thought to myself, what do people do if they don't know that God's willing to forgive them? If she did not have that, that truth in her life that I can be forgiven for even saying, I hate you, God. Where would that take her? Where would she be at 10 years old, at 20 years old? And so there are a lot of people who've got the burdens, whose lives are just wrapped up in sin that God wants to uh, forgive them for, it wants to restore them of. And so he's speaking to you today. If you're caught up into that, he wants you to find freedom and healing. And he wants you to share it with other people. If you're a child of God, he doesn't want you burdened by this stuff, man. He wants, you, he wants us free. 
He wants us healthy, even, even glad and joyful, no matter what we've done.